to the book of Hebrews chapter 4, because I got some good news for you this morning, and I bet you it's the best news you've heard all week. I'm going to ask you to bear with me as I get through this this morning, and pray for me too. Back Monday, I had a wisdom tooth cut out, and uh, (laughs) it's still giving me some problems. Apparently, they did something to the side of my tongue, and it hasn't healed and uh, it's irritating when I talk, and this morning, preaching a sermon in the early service, it irritated it all even more and swelled up, so um, if I start talking funny or uh, misinterpret a word, I know it won't be the first time, but uh, if it happens pretty often, you'll know why, so just bear with me. If it gets too bad, Danny will come up and give an interpretation of what I'm saying, so... Uh, <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 4, last week we looked at how the Old Testament judges were pointing to Jesus. And today we're going to look at another Old Testament shadow and what it tells us about the gospel. Now, to kind of set this up here, Hebrews chapter 3 is talking about how the Israelites, the first generation of Israelites that came out of Egypt, how they disobeyed God and, and weren't allowed to go into the promised land. These first few verses here in Hebrews chapter 4 is referring back to that. He's kind of continuing that whole thought and referring to them. So let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, Therefore let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also, talking about those Israelites. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful for your word, Lord, for the the truth and the promises that are contained in this. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to come and just enlighten our mind to this truth, that we may see it and open our hearts to be able to receive it, Lord, deep down inside so that we are transformed. Jesus, again, let us see you for who you are. Understand what it is that you have done, what's been made available to us, Lord, and let us take possession of that before we walk out of here today. In your name we pray. Amen. Last year, my middle daughter, Savannah, was in a 
national volleyball tournament that was being held in downtown Houston there at the uh, the convention center downtown and on the final break there was our final day there was a break some time in between uh, games and so I decided to to go outside for some fresh air and I was sitting there watching all the people walking around and I noticed this one small group of people that were going around handing out these little booklets to anyone who would take them well they eventually made their way to me and so I took one and told them that I would look at it and so they walked off and I began to read and this little book started off talking about all these bad things in our country like earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes and wildfires and the 9-11 terrorist attacks just on and on and then how these things were signs of God's judgment on America and I thought oh gosh here we go again I've heard this a thousand times and so I wanted to keep reading to find out what the reason was they thought for why we were under God's judgment and to my surprise it didn't name the usual suspects that some believe are, are causing us to be under the judgment of God, like the increased immorality in our country or the fact that we have taken God out of our public schools or the acceptance of homosexuality or anything like that. No, the reason this booklet gave for why our country is going down the tubes and we are under God's judgment right now is simply because we are failing to keep the Sabbath, failing to honor the Sabbath day. What does that mean exactly? Well, they explained it, quoting Exodus 20, 8 through 11, which will be up on the screen. It's the fourth of the Ten Commandments, and here's what it says. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This booklet went on to say that Christians in America have overall done a fairly decent job of you know, concentrating on all the other commandments and, and for the most part keeping them. But when it comes to keeping the Sabbath, we have completely ignored that one. And according to them, that is why God was punishing us. And of course, they also quoted James 2.10, which says, whoever keeps the whole law but yet stumbles in just one small part is guilty of breaking the whole thing. Now, I was curious as to who put this out. Now, so I looked all over, but nowhere in this book did it say who wrote it. Nowhere did it say what denominational affiliation had put this out or, or, or paid for it. There was nothing there to indicate who this was. Now, I just assume it was from Seventh-day Adventists because that's a big tenet of their doctrine. And the fact that it was saying that the Sabbath is actually on a Saturday rather than a Sunday. But apparently they weren't trying to get any more members to their denomination. They were just wanting everyone to start keeping the Sabbath because they didn't want to be under God's judgment anymore. And after reading that booklet, it was very clear to me that anyone without a clear understanding of the gospel could easily believe what they were saying. I mean, it was very well written. Their points were put together in a very good way, and they even used several scriptures all throughout the Bible to, to build their case. But the more I read it, the more sad I just became. 
not because I agreed with them and was sad that we were under God's judgment. I was just sad because of how wrong they were and the fact that they were completely missing Jesus. Like I said, I mean, apart from the gospel, this made a lot of sense. But when you hold up their case to the gospel, it completely falls apart. What this booklet was doing was supporting what we call the shadow gospel. The shadow gospel believes in Jesus but fails to see him as the substance and the fulfillment of all the Old Testament shadows. It still promotes much of the Old Testament as a guide for us to follow and obey in order to remain in God's favor and to please him. But that is mixing law and grace, which the whole book of Galatians explicitly warns us not to do. Just like everything in the Old Testament, the Sabbath day was a foreshadow of the gospel. And even though we are no longer under the Old Covenant, we still need to honor the Sabbath. But we're going to see what that looks like now that we're under the New Covenant. So we saw there in Exodus 20 that God established the Sabbath day to represent the fact that he rested on the seventh day of creation. For six days, God created all that is. And then on the seventh day, he rested. Now, why would God rest? Because he was tired? Of course not. God doesn't get tired. There is nothing he can do, no matter how long he does it, that would ever exhaust him or even stress him out to the point where he would just need to take a break and rest for a little bit. Plus, it wasn't like he was exerting any physical energy in in creating everything. All he had to do was speak a word and something suddenly appeared out of absolute nothing. Let there be light, and there was. Let there be ground, and there was, and water, and birds, and plants, and animals, everything. He just spoke it into existence. And so it's hard to imagine that, that after just speaking and declaring things into being for six days, he goes... Whew, man, that was exhausting. I need a break. No, of course not. I mean, God didn't even break a sweat in doing that. So the first point in your notes is this. God rested on the seventh day, not because he was tired, but because he was finished. Because he was finished. His resting was simply the sign that his work was now complete. It was perfect. Nothing could be added to it. There was nothing else that needed to be created because he was done. The work was complete. Now, back to our text in Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews is connecting three things here. He is running a thread connecting the seventh day of creation where God rested to the promised land in the Old Testament to Jesus. Like I said, Hebrews 3 is talking about how the Israelites disobeyed God, and it quotes a lot of Psalm 95, which that whole chapter is talking about the same thing, about those disobedient Israelites. And in Psalm 95, 11, God said of their disobedience, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. He is calling the promised land his rest, because that is what they were prevented from entering. Because remember, the original generation of Israelites that came out of Egypt, because they were disobedient, they were not allowed to go into the promised land. Not even Moses. 
God said they couldn't do it, but their children would be able to. Last week, I talked about how the promised land in the Old Testament is a metaphor for salvation in Jesus. That's what it represents. And in Psalm 95, he's referring to that as his rest. So the writer here is telling us that there's a connection between God's rest on the seventh day of creation and the promised land in, uh, of Israel. He's pointing out how God is calling both of these things his rest. Now, look again at verse 8 of Hebrews 4. It says, For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. Now, someone came up and pointed out to me at the end of the first service that if you have a King James Version of the Bible, it says Jesus instead of Joshua right here. And I'm going to tell you right now, that is a complete inaccurate interpretation of that scripture Um, the reason why they did that is because Joshua and Jesus the same exact Greek word is used for both of them and but to say that Jesus you know that doesn't even follow the context because the whole context is the Israelites going into the promised land and plus to say Jesus in that, it completely changes the whole point that the writer is trying to make in this text. This is not the first time I've seen a misinterpretation in the King James Version. Now, in no way do I believe that was intentional at all. It's just that King James Version was written so long ago and many new discoveries about the ancient Hebrew and Greek language has been made since the King James has come out. And they have since gone back and corrected some of those interpretations and this is one of them. It's, it's Joshua he's talking about here. Of course, Joshua is the one who took Moses' place in leading that next generation into the promised land. But here it says, if Joshua would have given them rest... God would not have spoken of another day after that. What that's saying is that entering the promised land symbolized that seventh day of rest, but it was not the fulfillment of it. That is not what the Sabbath was ultimately pointing to. It was just another clue as to what the Sabbath was was ultimately about. They were both pointing to something greater. The seventh day, the Sabbath, the promised land, they were all pointing to the same thing, but something greater than themselves. Now, if the promised land represents salvation, then that tells us, that gives us a clue there, that the Sabbath has something to do with salvation in Jesus. So let's read on. Verse 9 and 10 says, So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has also rested from his works, As God did from his. Here we have another clue as to what the Sabbath ultimately means. Whoever enters this rest, this rest that was represented by the seventh day of creation and the promised land, has rested from his work as God did from his. So we've got two clues now. It has something to do with salvation in Jesus and it involves resting from work. The whole book of Hebrews is about Jesus being the fulfillment of all the Old Testament shadows. 
It goes on and explains how the sacrifices, the temple, the priest, the the holy of holies, the the veil through it, all the utensils that were made, how all of those things were pointing to Jesus. And now that, that he has come and fulfilled all of that, that those things are now obsolete. Living under the old covenant law was all about working to remain in good standing with God. I mean, think about it. It was a lot of work to try to keep up with all the laws that you had to obey. And there was 613 laws that the Israelites had. It's a lot of work trying to keep up with all that. It was a lot of work raising an animal and taking care of it and then hauling it all the way to the temple in Jerusalem and laying it on the altar and cutting it into pieces and sacrificing it every time you sinned. It was a lot of work to, to make sure you were performing all the ceremonies and rituals just the right way. And as long as there was air in your lung, this work was never done. There was never a time where anyone could go, you know what? I've done so many sacrifices in my life, I think I'm good now. There was never time ago, you know what, I've, I've obeyed enough law, I think I'm good, I don't have to do anymore. No, as long as you're alive, the work never ended because you're always sinning, you're always breaking some law. There was always another ceremony, observance, a ritual that you had to observe. Now look at this. The only time the people got a break from working to remain in God's good standing was on the Sabbath day. It was like on that day, God gave a reprieve from having to work for his favor. So the next point there in your notes is this. The Sabbath was the only day of the week they didn't have to do anything to be right with God. Only day they didn't have to do anything to be right with God. Every other day there was something to do, but not on this day. On this day, you were declared right without having to do anything to get it. Boy, don't you know that everybody looked forward to the Sabbath day every week? And I'm sure there were probably days where they were just laying around relaxing and thought, And wouldn't it be great if every day was like this? Wouldn't it be great if it was like this all the time, knowing that we're in God's favor without having to do anything for it? See where this is headed? In Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. When Jesus said that his yoke was easy and light, he wasn't just referring to the wooden collar that an ox would wear while pulling a plow. It also had another meaning back then. In those days, every rabbi, every teacher of the law had their own interpretation their own teaching as to how the law was to be applied in everyday life. And some of them got pretty strict with it. For example, let's take the Sabbath. since That's what we're talking about. The law was you can't do any work on the Sabbath. And so a rabbi had to then teach people how to interpret that. What actually defines work? And they got pretty crazy about it. 
And so one of the things, they, laws they came up with was that you couldn't make any bricks because making bricks would be work. And then they carried that a little further and said you couldn't make mud because when the mud dried, it would turn into a brick and making bricks is work and you can't work on the Sabbath. They would even take that further and say, you know what, you can't spit on the Sabbath. Because if your spit lands in the dirt, it's going to make mud. And when that mud dries, it's going to be a brick and you can't make bricks because you can't work on the Sabbath. It was ridiculous. And that's exactly why Jesus, when he healed the blind man on the Sabbath day, he spit on the ground and made mud. He was literally spitting on their religion and their legalism. And so whatever a rabbi's teaching was on how the law was to be applied, how it was to be interpreted, that was called that rabbi's yoke. And many of their yokes got pretty heavy with legalism. That's why Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, for it's light and it's easy. It's not burdensome. And so for Jesus to use that particular reference, he was speaking directly about the old covenant law and giving them another hint as to what his rest would mean. It would be rest from the burdensome yoke of the law. Every one of us, because of the sin nature that we are born with and the residual effects of that that still linger, even when we are in Christ, have what I like to call Adam's itch. It's feeling compelled to do something to get back into favor with God when you feel like you've fallen out, to get back into the Garden of Eden. We want to be able to do something that assures our blessings rather than us being the object of curses. It's always, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? Which is the same thing the people asked Jesus when they said, what do we need to do to be able to work the works of God? Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe. He didn't tell them to do anything. He just said, believe. But no, that wasn't good. We want to know what to do because there's this itch that we have. And like all itches, Adam's begs to be scratched. And the more we think like an orphan, like we talked about last week, the more it itches. And many of us will go to great lengths to discover uh, another way to pull on the blessing lever, right? Boy, if I just do this the right way, I pull on this lever and all God's blessings are just going to come pouring down on me. And there are some people who have built multi-million dollar kingdoms with clever ways of scratching that itch. Ever so often, there'll be another bestseller in the Christian bookstore that is just selling like hotcakes, targeting that itch, assuring us that they have found the way to pull the lever and get even more of God's blessing and favor. And we soak it up like crazy because it scratches that itch that we have. You know, last week I said that one of Satan's main tactics is to try to get us to believe that we're still orphans when we're not. The more that we believe that we are, the more we are kept from entering that rest that Jesus made available to us. It's believing that, yes, Jesus bought my salvation, but I've got to do more in order to stay there. Or believing that, yes, I'm blessed to be saved, I'm blessed to be a Christian, but I've, I've got to do more in order to be blessed more. 
We're believing that when we fall into sin that we've got to do something in order to make up for that. We've got to do something and so that God will forgive us again for what we've done. We've got to pay some type of penance for that. Or we're doing something. We're doing all these good things trying to build up some capital so that we can cash it in when we really need to. God, I've done all this. Now you owe me for all these things that I've done. If you have an iPhone and you use the calendar on it, you know that it automatically puts a holiday or a religious observance on whatever day that thing will fall on. I don't know if you noticed or not, but this past Thursday it had the word Ashura on there. Carol was curious as to what that was about, and so she looked it up and she showed it to me. Ashura is one of the most important days in the Muslim faith. Shiite Muslims in particular. It commemorates the day that Muhammad's son Hussein was killed. And on that day, all these men will gather in the village square. And they'll walk through in a parade. And they'll wear these pure white long shirts or robes. And they will completely lacerate their heads with swords, knives, or chains. Just continually whipping themselves in the head until it bleeds so much that they're White shirts turn completely blood red. It's horrible. I was going to show you some pictures of it so you can see, but I've got a lot of young kids in here and nothing I found was appropriate. I mean, it's brutal, very graphic. And there's no age limit on this. I saw pictures of little boys look like they were six or seven years old with blood covering their shirt, running down their heads where, where they had cut themselves too. There were even some men that had taken their infant baby, taken a knife, and cut gashes in its scalp to perform this ritual. And here's what it said was the purpose of this demonic ritual. It said, this is intended to connect them with Hussein's suffering and death as an aid to salvation on the day of judgment. As an aid to salvation on the day of of judgment. The belief is that the more that they cut themselves, the more that they bleed, the better chance they'll have of being accepted, of passing on the day of judgment. That the more they bleed, the more they suffer, the more of Allah's favor that they'll have on their life. Of course, this isn't anything new. In 1 Kings chapter 18, when Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal to see whose God would show up and consume the offerings on the altar with fire. Prophets of Baal started praying to their God and nothing happened. And so they got desperate and they pulled out knives and started cutting themselves, thinking that their show of sacrifice, their show of of how sincere they were would move their God to act on their behalf. Now you and I are easily appalled that people would do such a thing. I'm telling you right now, there are many Christians today that are doing the very same thing. They might not be cutting themselves with knives, but that orphan mentality that would cause a Muslim to cut themselves in order to gain the favor of Allah is the same exact orphan mentality that would cause us to try to buy or earn God's favor. 
We don't do it with knives and swords and chains. But we do it with good behavior, religious activity. But it doesn't make it any more acceptable to God. There's no difference. Some of you might think, well, at least good behavior and religious activity, I mean, those are good things. Cutting yourself definitely is not. Well, when I say religious activity, of course, I'm talking about things like going to church, Bible study, prayer, giving, uh, getting involved in ministry, things like that. And so religious activity and good behavior, if you do these things as a way to gain leverage somehow with God or to appease him in some way or get him to act on your behalf, I'm telling you right now, you might as well pull out a knife and start cutting. And I would go so far as to say that it is just as demonic as Ashura. And the reason why is because it completely diminishes and belittles what Jesus accomplished on the cross. It says what Jesus did is not enough. And so I've got to do all this other stuff. And that is a lie straight from the pits of hell. What Jesus did was more than enough. His blood purchased for us everything that we try to gain through religious activity and good behavior. It purchased everything for us that Jesus has with the Father. What does that mean? Well, can God love Jesus any more or any less than he already does? No. Neither can he with you. Can Jesus be any more or any less blessed than he already is being a son of the Father? No. Neither can you. When Jesus paid the penalty for sin, how many of your sins were included in that? All of them. And so there's nothing left for you to do in order to gain God's forgiveness. Jesus has already done it. That's what it means to be in Christ. 1 John four seventeen. As he is, so also are we in this world. Under the, uh, under the new covenant. We honor the Sabbath, not by refusing to work on Sundays. We honor the Sabbath by believing and trusting in the finished work of the cross. We honor the Sabbath by repenting of the ways that we have belittled the cross, by trying to earn what Jesus has already provided, repenting of trying to add to what has already been perfected the three greatest words any human has ever spoken the three words that Jesus uttered on the cross it is finished look back at that first point God rested on the seventh day not because he was tired but because he was finished Honoring the Sabbath day means trusting 
Trust in the fact that Jesus finished the work that was required for salvation. That he finished the work that was required to gain God's favor. That he finished the work required to be forgiven. That he finished what was required to receive a blessing from God. The last point is this. To rest in Jesus is to believe that he finished the work required to be right with God. He finished it. You say, well, what about good behavior and religious activity and all that? Well, accepting and truly believing in the finality of the cross should motivate us to want to do those things all the more. They become a want to instead of a have to. We do them, like I've talked about before, because of, not for. Because of God's favor that I already have in Jesus, not for it. Because I am blessed in Jesus, not for a blessing. I do these things because I am forgiven, not so that I will be. And think about this. Why is physical rest so important to us? Why do we need to rest? Because if we don't, we're going to burn out and completely shut down. We rest so that we can keep going, right? Those who feel burnout in ministry and burnout just trying to be good Christians all the time are feeling burnout because they're doing those things for the wrong reasons. There's no burnout when you do them because of and not for The rest that we enter by fully accepting what Jesus has done is what enables us to keep going, to build the kingdom, to fulfill our purpose, being God's representatives on earth. I'll close with this story because it's the best one I've heard that illustrates, I believe, what it means to honor the Sabbath today. I'm sure some of you have heard it. It's one Kenny Thacker tells about the little girl in his church up there in Prosper. It was too good not to tell again, especially in light of this, because it just illustrates this truth so perfectly. He talked about this little girl that was in his church that was being raised by her single mom, and they were dirt poor. Barely had enough money to put food on the table, much less buy any clothes. And you could tell that all the clothes that this little girl owned were things that They had got at the Goodwill or something or people had given them because nothing ever fit. They were either too big or too little or had holes in them or were dirty. This little girl caught the eye of this very wealthy lady who was also in his church. It was just something about this little girl that that drew her to her. One winter, it was particularly cold, and she noticed that the girl wasn't ever wearing a coat. She found out it was because she just simply didn't own one. And so this wealthy lady went to Neiman Marcus there in Dallas and bought the most expensive coat that she could find for a girl her size. Wise to spend your money that way? That's debatable. I mean, the girl's going to grow out of it pretty soon. But she wanted to do that. She felt like the Lord was telling her, and so she did. And so the next Sunday that came up, she presented the coat to the little girl and her mom. And the mom... Just like all of us, when we get full of pride, going, there's no way I can take this. So that, if I take that coat, that'll probably be the most expensive thing we own in our house. There's no way I can take a gift like that. 
And the lady kept insisting, no, uh, this is a gift for me. I want your daughter to have it. She doesn't have a coat. The mom was like, well, she doesn't need one this nice. She's like, it's hers. And mom said, well, well, at least let me pay you for it somehow. I, I can't pay you that much money, but let me come over to your house and clean for you. I've got to do something to, to pay you back for this. And the lady was like, no, you can't pay me. It, it's a gift. It wouldn't be a gift if you paid me back for it. But the lady just kept on and on and on. And finally, the wealthy lady said, all right, you want to pay me for it? I'll tell you how you do that. She said, every time you're at church on Sunday and it's cold outside, make sure she's wearing that coat. Because you pay me just by letting me see her wear it. That's all the payment I need. I just want to see her wearing it and enjoying this gift that I've given her. the way God is with us that Adam's itch is feeling like we owe him for what he's done but the whole time he's going stop I just want to see you wear what I've given you I just want to see you enjoy what I've provided for you quit trying to buy my love with stuff that's mine in the first place Just wear this new identity that my son's blood purchased for you. That's what it means to honor the Sabbath. Receiving and trusting in the complete finished work of Jesus. Let's pray. God, your goodness just never ceases to amaze us. The news just seems to be getting better and better. The more we discover about what you've done, the more we discover about who we are in you. Lord, we see why in your word you say that your ways are not our ways. We wouldn't do this for anybody, but you've done it for us. Lord, I pray for those in here this morning that really needed to hear you say, stop. Quit trying to earn what you've already been given. Been caught up in the just legalism and thinking they've got to do more in order to make you happy, to, to stay in your favor. Or I pray that this morning they would find that rest in the fact that you have done it all. There's nothing that they can add to it. Holy Spirit, we need you to be able to grasp this because this is beyond our human capacity. It's beyond our natural minds. So Jesus, by your spirit, would you come and infuse this deep down into our hearts so that everything we do will just come from this truth. That it is finished. 
And we just get to enjoy you. So Lord, let it be. In your name I pray. Amen.